0: What's up, everybody? Today on Escaping the Drift, I had Ryan Serhant from Million Dollar Listing. It was an awesome conversation. We talked about all kinds of stuff from his early years into how he kind of BSed his way onto Million Dollar Listing. That is a story that if, if we talked about nothing else other than that, that story is worth a listen. We talked about all the books he's written. We talked about the trials and tribulations that he had going into uh, opening his own brand and what it took to build Sirhan. If you are in sales, if you're in business, if you're just... Like Million Dollar Listing, this is a podcast you're going to want to listen to. Check it out. And now, Escaping the Drift, the show designed to get you from where you are to where you want to be. I'm John Gafford, and I have a knack for getting extraordinary achievers to drop their secrets to help you on a path to greatness. So stop drifting along, escape the drift, and it's time to start right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Drift. And today... Man, I got to tell you, got a banger. I got uh, just an exceptional guest in studio today. You will definitely recognize this cat from reality television. He is one of the, I'm just going to say, founding members, biggest stars of Bravo's Million Dollar Listing. He has built his own brand in a way that nobody else in that show has excelled to do. He is the author of three great books, and we are lucky to have him. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program today. The one, the only Ryan Serhant. Ryan, how are you, buddy?
1: Hey guy, how are you? Thanks for having me.
0: I'm doing good, doing good. So I wanna kinda jump right into this if we can. So a couple things. Number one, I wanna talk about what you did before all of this. Like what was Ryan's life before real estate? What did you do?
1: Oh man, I uh, well, one, I was born, (laughs) Um, In Houston, Texas, bounced around a lot, moved like eight times before, I guess I was 10 years old, Um, mostly up and down the East Coast, eventually settled down in Boston. Um, uh, went to high school there. Went to college in upstate New York. Played every single sport known to man. Was terrible at all of them. Uh, uh, you know, tr- thought I was going to go to law school. I took the LSAT to go to law school. Bombed the LSAT. I was like, I guess I'm not going to law school. And then moved to New York in 2006 to 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 do theater. You know, I'd rather regret the things I did than the things I never tried. And I didn't want to be. 60 years old one day saying, ah, I never actually tried that one thing that I I was kind of okay at. Um, uh, But I wasn't okay enough because I totally ran out of money really, really quick. And then I got my real estate license like most actors do. um, So I could just, do my thing off to the side while also renting apartments. You know, New York city is a big rental city. It's like 70% leases and rentals Mm -hmm. here. Um, Even the wealthiest people they'll just rent because they own a place in the Hamptons or London or wherever. Um, And my goal was just to do one rental deal a month. If I could make $2,000 a month, I could pay my bills. I could buy food. I could be good. And I would, I would have all the time in the world to do all the stuff that I came to New York to do in the first place. But then I just got addicted to the, I got addicted to the outcome. I got addicted to putting in the work and raising my chances of making an income versus, you know, as an actor, you put in the work for 10 years, the, the, the chances are really low, right? They're less than 1%. So yeah. um, uh, as much as I loved it, it was just, it was tough to live. <laughs> that's hard. You know, that's hard.
0: How long had you been in real estate before Million Dollar Listing? How long? How long?
1: Uh, I technically a year and a half. Cause I got my license and started in September, 2008. And then that audition for million dollar listing was March of 2010. So about a year and a half before like the process started, mm-hmm. the show didn't air. Cause we filmed in 2010, 2011, and the show didn't come out until March of 2012. So, you know, I'd been in the business then for just under four years. So I was relatively still pretty fresh and pretty new.
0: So when they were casting that show, and the the reason I say this is because my career also started on reality television. I was on the third season of The Apprentice uh, with Donald Trump. And so I got my start there. And I can tell you, when I went to those casting calls uh, for The Apprentice, I completely bullshitted my way out of the show. Um, I probably should not have been there in retrospect. So I'm curious, were, were you at a place in your real estate career where you kind of bullshitted your way on the million dollar listing and start?
1: Yeah, no. Listen, I, I knew a couple things. One, like three thousand real estate agents showed up, right for for that first season of Million Dollar Listing, and they said they were going to cast four people, and they were to shoot the whole season with four people, and only three of them would make the actual show. So the stress was high. Things were high. Um, and also I I went in there with no chance in the world. Like yeah. I, you know, I, I, what I learned actually from being an actor and going to auditions all the time is when you care, you don't get it. When you don't care, you really raise your chances of getting it. You know, it's like Michael Douglas says at the, as, uh, at the end of that movie, The Ghosts of Girlfriends Past with yeah. Matthew McConaughey. The one in the relationship who holds all the power is the one who cares the least. And it's so true. So I went in there and, you know, I knew that the casting director was from L.A. And so I knew they didn't know New York. So I said, okay, I got a leg up on them. They don't really know. They're just looking probably for a look and they're, they're looking to be sold. Like casting directors always you can watch interviews with them all the time they don't want to see a thousand people like that's work that sucks Mm. they want you to come in and be perfect like you sell them like just sell me please please i don't want to see another thousand real estate agents Um, and so i i i didn't fake it but i definitely went in there and i said to myself okay how long do these shows take to make let's say i get cast this year It'll take forever to film it. That'll be a while. It probably doesn't come out for a year, two years, probably, which was exactly on the money. It didn't come out for two years. Um, and so what kind of agent am I going to be in two years? Because by the time this airs, that that's who I'm going to be. So why would I ever tell them that I'm like, who I am today? Why don't I tell them and show them who I'm going to be in two years when this show would actually even come out? Because the Ryan today, back in 2010, was... You know, uh, very budgeted. You know, I'd have my bagel. I would take the subway. I lived in a studio with no bathroom in Koreatown because it was the cheapest I could find while being next to public transportation so I could get to my appointments. Um, uh, and I, I really didn't have a whole lot to, to show for it, but I knew it's like if I got this, Ryan, two years from now, when this thing comes out, I will be crushing it. I don't know how, but I'll have, I'm not going to be taking the subway anymore. I lose cell service down there and it's fucking hot yeah so i would have a driver man by far like that's the first thing you get okay cool i have a cool apartment um i'd probably have my own car So i would do um and i'd be selling things all day every day to the point where i probably wouldn't even remember what they are and so when they asked me like who are you that's that's the image that i presented to them so was was me in the future future ryan and then when (laughs) they came to film me i borrowed a range rover I borrowed a, a, a guy you know, who could drive um, and be a driver. I borrowed some listings. I had them meet me at five in the morning and they were all from LA, which was two in the morning to them. So they were exhausted anyway, right? And I just rode them through this wild and crazy day to the point where they were like, we don't know what just happened with that guy, but he's young. Uh, I think he's got gray hair. So I can't, maybe he's <laughs> actually old. I don't really know. It's super weird. Um, and his life is totally insane. And then I had every single person I know call me
0: Oh, like just day, all day long, like your phone just like crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, the phone ringing. I pick it up and I'd be like, "Abu, the wire hasn't hit yet from Abu Dhabi. I'll let you know." My mom would be like, "What?" And I'd say, "Hang up, <laughs> shut up, mom." <laughs> yeah,
0: that, that's 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 next level. Uh, me, I mean, the, my my big moment during casting was uh, I walked into Mark Burnett, who was the executive producer of the show, and yeah. I had a deeper, we had made it down to the top like fifty, right? The from yeah. two million people down to fifty. And I walk into the first interview with Burnett and he basically walks in and I stick up my hand and I say, how you doing? I'm John Gafford. And he puts an M&M in my hand and then proceeds to just wreck me in the interview for the next like 15 minutes. So I leave and I'm leaving. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, that was a good run. I, I didn't get that. That's done. So I go back to my room and then a handler came down about two hours later and was like, they want to see you again. I'm like, all right, hang on a second. So I go to the mini bar, hit it real quick. I go, if I'm going out, I'm going on on my terms this time. So I walk up, they had these two double doors. They were sitting behind and I just kicked the doors open. Bam, doors hit the wall. And it's him and like all the NBC brass at the time. Doors hit the wall and I walk in and I just go, you know, let me tell you why you should put me on your little television show. I said, when you make an investment in me, you get back a 100 times what you invest. And I pulled a bag of M&Ms that I pulled out of the out of the mini bar, I threw them in his face and I said, "Thanks for the fucking M&M," and I walked out. <laughs> and that was it. And that's that was I hey, hired you. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, because dude, they, they didn't. Because the first time I went in for a business interview, they were looking for for they wanted action. They're casting a reality television show, which brings me to my next. This is I, I put out this morning because obviously, being in the real estate space as I am, huge following within the real estate space, and I put out this morning on Instagram. I was going to talk to you, and I said, "What should I ask Ryan Serhan?" And this question came up more than once because i I'm, I'm going to tell you my contention, and you tell me if this is wrong because I don't know. In my contention, the way that we do real estate in Las Vegas has been ruined by million dollar listing. And let me explain to you why. And let me explain to you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because I know, no, I know that attorneys, I think, I don't know how real estate works in New York. I've never done a deal in New York. I think attorneys draft the contracts there. Is that correct?
1: Yes, all of okay. them. Okay, yeah, we don't. We
0: okay, touch you don't them. touch the contracts. Okay, so are the deals negotiated really over the phone like they are on television, or are you sending LOIs back and forth?
1: Mm, no, there's no LOIs. LOIs would be, I guess, in in, in commercial. The commercial. World. Yeah, dude, in New York, the only thing that counts is the contract. So offers are done over the phone. They're done over email. I get we, we negotiate. I just negotiated this morning a four four million four hundred fifty thousand dollars deal all over text.
0: So that's really uh, how it's done—just back and forth that way.
1: Yeah, there's no so in in all of our other markets. So we're like we're in eight states now. Yeah, every other market, you're 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 signing a contract and you're negotiating and redlining the contract back yes. and forth, and then you have. You have escrow, right? You have escrow, and you go to escrow, and you have three days, seven days, whatever inspection period, and all that stuff, which is so weird for me because I've spent you know fifteen years negotiating deals by carrier pigeon up here because New York is incredibly litigious, but it's also the wild, wild west in how things are done, Um, and so you know you you can get buyers to make verbal offers, just start the conversation, you know. So like an offer for me is. Is someone officially submitting it, yada, 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 they over an email, it's a proof of funds. They say, you know, here's my financial statement, we can afford it, our attorney information. But also, like we have, you know, listings that are tough to sell all the time. And so one thing we'll teach to agents in New York, which wouldn't work anywhere else, mm-hmm. is you sit that buyer down on a couch and you ask them what their number is. Right? It's ten million dollars. Okay. Every single person told you it's overpriced, no problem. But I can see you love this house. What what do you buy this for today? just unofficially what would you buy it for i don't know i'm not paying more than seven okay no problem now i get to pick up the phone and call the seller yeah say listen i an official offer but kind of got a verbal <laughs> seven million bucks right seven million bucks and then the seller's like well i'm not selling for less than eight and a half no problem let me call you right back now i go back to the buyer i'm like hey listen i know you didn't make an offer or anything but i just actually told talked to the seller and kind of said that you threw out seven um uh you he, he like just dropped a million and a half off the ask over the phone, like eight and a half. And then the buyer is like, huh? Interesting. I do like this porch. I do like the, this, I do like the, this, um, seven and a half. And then maybe the seller's interested, you know, never know. And now all of a sudden it's like, all right, let's get a turn. Okay. Well, interested. Okay. Now I get it. So you can like manufacture yeah. deals that way in New York city, whereas in your market or anywhere else, mm-hmm. I've got to say, are you ready to write an offer on this house or on this house? Here you go. Here's the <laughs> form. To sign it. And it's, it's a much more formal process, which I understand protects you a bit more because when the seller signs it, right, it's it's they're pretty one-sided. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but I, I don't think I would have done the volume that I've done in my career if I didn't have the ability to go to soft contracts so often. And yeah, obviously those deals are not protected in any way. Right? Well, I, I could do that with a hundred buyers, and then nothing is real until the seller totally countersigns that contract and accepts their wire and accepts yeah. their deposit,
0: and it's delivered. See, I. I thought I, I didn't, I I wasn't sure if there was something in writing with back and forth that that's really how it was. But of course the problem we run into here is, you know, you guys, what you do on that show is the dream. Everybody wants to sell the big stuff. Everybody wants to have the driver. And so everybody tries to emulate and in markets where contracts have to go back and forth, you know, we'll get calls all the time. Like, Hey, just ask yourself, it's like, bro, I can't, I can't negotiate an offer. I don't have, and that's the standard language we have. So I'm glad you clarified that because it, that really really is how it is.
1: I will say, it's you know there are a lot of agents in New York who won't do that, who will say, well, I'm not going to talk to my seller until you submit officially, because they don't want to waste their time. Yeah. So it could be totally a waste. I mean, it could be. And it's definitely been a waste of time multiple times where someone verbally says this or verbally said, and then it doesn't happen. But if it's your listing, okay, uh, I, at some point, like I, I almost don't even care if this guy buys it. What I care about is I have a real human who just threw out a number in their brand. They've seen a bunch of other stuff. Is it a lowball? Sure, but is it a realistic low ball? I don't know. Let's let's check comps now. I actually have real feedback to give to a seller because the number one rule when you have a listing agreement is to just not get fired. So now I can go to the seller because what happens? Like you have a listing, no one shows up, no one makes offers, the seller fires you because you are like, "Well, you know, you didn't bring me one offer." So now at least I'm going to them and saying, "I that's not true." you wanted to list for 10. We showed you the comps were between seven and eight. I had a person there for seven. And so now I'm at least keeping things moving forward. And that way they can't actually say that another agent is going to do necessarily a better job. Because we also then make sure the, the listing goes absolutely everywhere. It's global. Everybody knows about. So what are, what are you going to do? The other agents you're talking to never once brought us a single buyer. So what do are, what are you think they're going to take nice, nicer photos of the kitchen? No, right. The, the, this is its price. Presentation and patience. It's those three P's. And on the buy side, even if they don't buy that listing, you know, I'm at least getting them verbally into talking numbers, right? It's like agents sit with a buyer for a year and, like, well, I don't know how to close them. I, I, he was not ready to make an offer. I'm like, but did you ever get him really thinking about a number? And now he's thinking about, okay, well, they didn't take my seven. Yeah, that was low. But what about that last place? Or let's go see these places. And you get them thinking about, like, oh, I was close. That's interesting. I didn't know I could make a low offer.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so interesting you talk about lowball offers because I'm always shocked when agents get like, I am personally insulted by your lowball offer. It's like, yeah. dude, when you take a listing, and I always preach this to our people, when you take a listing, it's... You never hang your hat on that price. It's this is what we're going to go with. But listen, the market is going to accept or reject the pricing. The market is yep. going to tell us. And so even yep. those lowball offers, if the pricing is incorrect or this is what the market is saying, use that offer to, A, like you said, make yourself look good that you're you're procuring offers. But B, if you need to adjust the price based on market feedback, that's the best way to do it. I, it, it baffles me when they get upset about that.
1: Yeah. Like it just it's it's and it's also it's not on you. No, like like you can you can pick up the phone and say, "Dude," or "Honey," uh, or or "Hey," or however you talk, whatever your thing is. um, If I present this to my seller, they might uh, surgically remove my left arm. So you got to help me here, Mm -hmm. you know. And then what's crazy to me too is agents will make low offers, and then you say, "Okay, I'm going to go do it," and then they're mean about it, like they're angry about it. (laughs) Like your your listing isn't worth shit. I'm like, I don't I don't understand, like why. Why be difficult? Yeah, Like we're in this, you know, unlike sports, you know, you guys just had the Super Bowl where the end of the the outcome is only one side wins. In our business, like I got to play for the other side to win, because if the other side feels like they won and they've gotten over their ego and all their stuff, then by default, we win. Yeah. So it's a, it's a win it's a win win game. How agents come to the table all the time, and they're like, "Well, no, I that's not good for me." And they come to win. They just they come out there it's like swinging, and I'm going to get you the absolute best deal. Like I don't work for the seller or the buyer. I work for the deal. We are all here to work for the deal. It is a win win game.
0: Great way to look at it. I want to move on to talk a little bit about Sirhan because I, you know I respect what you've done there so much because I've done it. And when you go out and plant your own flag and build how something great, how did you that? make it?
1: How nah. long, when did you start your own firm?
0: Uh, our firm is 11 years old. So, we, right, so we, we we were very quickly number three in total volume within about two years. Um, and we recently have now become number two in, in volume. So we're, we're very pleased with that. I will never be number one because we're not a place where if you have a pulse and in a heartbeat, you can work here. We actually do let people go that are not do you performing have,
1: do You have physical, do you have physical offices.
0: We do. Yeah. We have, we have multiple locations here in Las Vegas. Um, we've got just at about 585 agents total, but just in Vegas, just in Vegas. Yeah. So. Damn. So yeah, it, it's a good, it's a good deal. But the point being with you is I look at everybody from all of the brands of million dollar listing and those guys are building some incredible businesses, but it's not their business. And you had the yeah. wherewithal to go out and plant your flag. So I want to talk about what the thought process was with that. Yeah. And walk me through that.
1: I mean, so, I mean, it's a couple of things. One, you know, I, six years ago, 2015, so um, seven, no more, uh, nine years ago. Jesus Christ! Um, uh, I, I just started doing different types of things, right? So for me, like selling real estate was was good. I could do it. But you know, you're only as good as your last deal, and you're just running all day long. You have a great year, then you have a terrible year. You have a great month and then a bad month. Um, and I, I've always just wanted to control as much of my life as I possibly can. It's hard to do that as a broker. Um, uh, 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 you can as you build up a big book of business, right? You totally can build up a referral base, et cetera. Um, but, so we started doing um, education. Right, where we would teach salespeople how to sell, and we started doing that, you know, digitally. I put out, you know, because I wrote my first book, "Selt Like Sirhan," and turned that into a TV show, and then turned that into um, a, a kind of an online course, and and it's bigger than ever now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have. I don't know, 20, 22, 23,000 people in that program in 128 countries now from I- Iraq to Tanz- Tanz- Tanzania to like, to, to Vegas, to California and so on. Um, uh, and so I was doing that while being a full-time real estate agent at the brokerage I was at. And then I was doing productions because I liked, you know, I liked media. It's what I moved to New York City for in the first place. So I had like my own videographers and I built, you know, Sirhan Media Group. And so we were doing it for myself plus other agents. So I. I had all these different things going on while I was working at a brokerage and paying, you know, in New York City, the splits are, are low, mm-hmm. right? They're low. And so you're, you know, you're, you're at a 70, 60, 75% split, you know, and the company, you know, is making a lot of money on you, um, which is fine because they, prov- they provide a lot of resources. So there's a trade there. And in New York, everyone, you know, you're just, you're good with it. Um, and, but I wanted to bring all of that under one roof. And so I started interviewing with other firms and I was like, maybe there's, maybe, cause I don't know what I don't know. And I'd never been anywhere else. I'd only been at my firm. Um, and I built my team and done my thing. And I interviewed with all these other companies and they just all sucked, man. Like they just, I was just going to be a number there. I was just going to be an <laughs> agent. I was just going to have my license. It was all about the deal. And also, you know, you're different, but everybody that i spoke to especially at the big firms none of them sell real estate none of them yeah. had ever sold real estate so they didn't know what it was like to have an open house that no one shows up to and what do you do they didn't know what it was like to get fired off a listing and your competitor gets hired and like and what do you do right like they didn't know what it was like to constantly be creating marketing content and like they they, they paid for it but they didn't know what it was like and so i, I just didn't find another firm that really saw the future of this business the way the way that I did. And then push came to shove in the summer of 2019. Um, that year, you know, my GCI total as my team was like 20 million dollars in 2019, just as a team. And um, uh, and I worked seven days a week.
0: How many units was I, that? How many units was that?
1: I don't remember. I don't know. Eight hundred, maybe seven hundred, something like that. God. We do we do a lot of new construction but we have a good average price point yeah. um, anyway so it's the summer of 2019 and um, I you know I work seven days a week like I don't see you know we just had my baby but I still have Saturday office days I'm an open house so I'm running around all day Sunday I don't I don't do a lot of vacations at that time um you know I'm sweating in the office because the, the AC is broken and I talked to this big agent who's based out in the Hamptons he's like dude you must be crushing it this year it's like what do you mean he's like did you see your boss's new boat? Oh God! And there's a lot of reasons why I left and started my own company, but um, uh, like that one, especially because we were crushing it. And at that point, that summer, I would already <laughs> crossed 10 million in GCI. So, I and I never got an email, I never got a call congratulating me on deals. I ne- they never reached out to me about anything that was beneficial, other than what. I could do more for them. Like, hey, come talk at our event that we're doing for all these other agents. When I got to that company, there was like 30 agents. By the time I got out of there, because a the million dollar listing and everything else there was like 800. Mm-hmm. I didn't see there's no benefit to me there. Um, and so I, I made like a rule to myself. Like one, no boats. Two, um, uh, I, I am so fucking grateful for every agent in the markets that we're in. Who has a choice of where to work and chooses us? Like I, we champion every single person's wins, and I want them to know that I will work harder than them too. They see me. I was I was in Canada this morning, right now I'm here. We just led our company webinar. I'm going to work all night tonight. I'm going to work through the weekend. Like I want all of our agents to know that I lead by example and I will outwork all of them so they never ever ever rest and say, "Oh, I made." Sirhan a lot of money this year. I wonder what he's doing. Actually, I know exactly what he's doing because he just sent me 15 emails and he has no life. <laughs> like that's mm. that's the sacrifice that I'm willing to make as as we build right now. Um,
0: I, I think I think it's so funny you talk about that because most brokers spend so much energy and money and time trying to figure out how to recruit new agents into their company. How are we, get, how are we gonna continue to grow? How am I gonna get the next person? And in reality, we have found over our 11 years the best way to recruit new agents is to constantly recruit the ones that already work for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What a huge. That is a huge statement and that's that's awesome that you say it that way um because it's true right you re- you recruit from within you promote from within mm-hmm. right you you hire fast fire faster promote fastest um you know you you really you know treat the people that you have who are there with you incredibly well so that they stay and then they want to have their friends come work with them mm-hmm. you know we, we we grew i don't know why i added 85 agents 84 maybe uh, in january um uh, uh and i could tell you like a 65 of those were just from other agents who are here bringing great producing friends to us. And then we interview them and we don't take everybody, just like you said, you know, you don't either. Uh, um, and it's 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 helped. I don't know, maybe it's not the right way to do it. Maybe I should be compass and just pay everybody off with oil money. I don't know. <laughs> um, only time will tell.
0: Only time will tell. But you, well, you know what else is coming up? And, um, it, and I don't know if you can comment on this. I personally can't comment on it, but I'm curious what your thoughts are, which is the, the reason I can't comment on it is because one of the copycat suits, uh, because we're so big here in Nevada, we're named in, in the copycat suit here in Nevada. but the yeah, commission we're named, we're named. are you we're already named, it? named. so we, we won't even talk about it because obviously you can't talk about it either so we'll move can no, we did talk about can it, I mean, talk I think about it? I
1: think, yeah i think the class action lawsuits are public i think they're out yeah
0: there. they are I mean, they're, they're out there what I are your th- are th- what are your thoughts you, you got named in new york's or florida's new yeah, york's
1: we got named in brooklyn's i don't think i was actually i think we're, we were so fresh we haven't even been we, we didn't start expanding until um looking at, it's february now so till March of last year, March, April. So it's been less than a year. So like there's, there'd be nothing to go after us for yeah. like in other, other markets. And we've already changed up practices that way. Um, uh, you know, part of me says that one, everybody should just read them and understand. I think the media drives headlines, right? And not necessarily substance. So for the class action in New York City, I mean, it's, it, it should, it, there there is no MLS here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's a
0: that's reach. that's wild to me by by itself. That's wild.
1: Yeah, there's no MLS here. Why do you think we sent offers, you know, by turtles <laughs> over here? So it's um uh uh it's out there. I think that, you know, um uh I think it's gonna change the way buyers, agents collect commissions, possibly. But I also think what it's gonna do, especially in a in a tougher market, is it's probably gonna push commissions higher because it's gonna create this weird kind of convergence of incentives mm-hmm. right where a buyer's agent actually isn't gonna do the work unless they really get paid um, and so that is actually not in the best interest of consumers right it's gonna cost consumers more money but the lawyers who file these lawsuits on behalf of whoever um, don't care about that like who do you think made all the money in, in Missouri right from these settlements yeah it's this the lawyers, and they don't take two percent, four percent, six percent. They take thirty three percent or greater. Yeah, I've yeah. never been able to get thirty three percent in my life.
0: No, no, absolutely not. Do you think that NAR-
1: last action lawsuit against lawyers?
0: I, <laughs> yeah, good luck getting that filed. Do you think that NAR survives this? For those of you who don't know what that is, that's the National Association of Realtors. Do you think it survives? I don't know.
1: My buddy, my buddy Jason Haber. Yeah, this, you know, started the with, the with American, Yep. Yep. So he started a, a, a kind of a, a competitor, um, uh, uh, kind of group. Um, I think they based it out of Texas. Um, I think we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't think people are happy with NAR. I don't think anyone's like, yay, NAR dues. Here we go. I know exactly what it's going to. I think there is bloated executive pay and I think they had mass ego. Um, and I think you know, I, I think it was a travesty the way that they handled um, uh, the case in Missouri. And clearly they've had issues ever since outside of the sexual harassment claims and everything else that's gone on. Um, and so I'm fine if they, you know, they get broken up. I think it's totally fine. You know, I would be fine with what we have like in New York. Are you just a member of NAR in Vegas or is there also? No, no, like no,
0: no, no, There's a state board of realtors. There's a local board of realtors. We're got to be members of all of it.
1: Yeah, so I, I don't know why, why we just can't be part of kind of city and state boards, because that's where the transactions are getting done. And that's where we're paying the tax, yeah. right to then have a national association that it doesn't really do anything for you, other than force you to use certain MLSs and force you to use certain lockboxes. Like, I, you know, I don't know, but I'm not the best person to speak to it. So I just want to be careful because we're not members of NAR sure. in New York City. And it doesn't mean anything.
0: Sure. all right cool we'll'll we'll, we'll, we'll move off that topic because uh I'm sure you probably are sick of thinking about it as I am so I was gonna just want to what your opinion was so let me ask yeah. you this man you, you were talking about earlier about your work ethic with where you're gonna work all night you're gonna do this blah 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 how do you keep the wife happy when you work like that how do you keep the fam how do you keep the fam in line what's how do you how do you balance
1: well she's currently in Switzerland skiing so she's having fun over there
0: <laughs> so you just um, said her a go great go vacations without you that's a smart yeah I, I could see that.
1: Yeah. They, they were, they're going to go to Greek. They go to Greece for the entire summer because they're, they're Greek. Um, uh, You know, I, I, I do, I I don't know. I do my best. I do my best. Saturday is for Xena. You know, I call it my, my dadder day. Um, You know, we try to do date nights. We try to focus, but I I think we just try to have aligned expectations um, about kind of where, where she is in her life right now, where I am in my life. And you know, when I started the companies in 2020 and I left my real estate agent life and team that I've been so used to for 12 years, it's like, okay, I think things are going to be really hard for at least the next couple of years, maybe even longer than that, um, before I really understand what my new life means and how to operate it. Because I'm going to be so nervous about everything going forward. I'm going to want to just work all the mm-hmm. time. there's much bigger stakes now there's have payroll now right we have overhead we've got you know lots of people my staff is like 140 people like there's you know there's a lot of things i got to think about now um and i just got to go all in so do you want to go all in with me and and bank on this for the long term because if if not we should have that conversation um and so so it's it's worked out from there i I wish i could be in switzerland right now skiing you know i i (laughs) And I love that they are, I think it's yeah. awesome. I think it's it's super, super cool, but I, I can't, I can't, you know, I, there's, I just, just can't do it.
0: Let me ask you this. Cause you're, you're a guy that grew up in Houston, obviously. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously where you are now, there's no way the financial situation you as a kid is the same as it is now. Obviously it can't be, do you ever worry? Cause this is something that worries me a lot. Does it ever worry you that your kids are going to grow up without a real concept? Like, how do you keep your, how are you raising your kids to not turn them into like lunatics. Cause that's always my biggest concern with my kids.
1: Yeah. I think um, uh, if you read, uh, I think it was uh, outliers by yeah. Malcolm McDowell. He talks about the bell curve, you know, and how it was, you know, why the country has been built by immigrants because they had to build, there's no choice, right? There was, there was no choice. You know, the entire United States was, was, was founded by people who had a get up and go attitude. Like neither you nor me have ever gotten so angry at our country that we got in a fucking boat for six months, dodged malaria, right? And drifted off into the great unknown to just go live in the woods and (laughs) hopefully make things better. Like, can you imagine? Like, none of us, no one. I mean, some of us, sure. Some of us. um, uh, I think that's why I'm so taken back. Like, we we have, you know, uh, a lot of Iranian uh, Iranian, sorry, agents in, in New York city, um, who like grew up, you know, during their crisis over there, you know, they're mm-hmm. technically refugees. Um, you know, we take in, you know, Ukrainians over the past couple of years. Cause I'm just like that, that, that DNA, yeah. that is a hungry DNA. So anyway, to your, to your point, um, uh, Zina has a great life. Daughter has a great life that said, she is going to work she's going to have jobs. Like she's going to, if she wants something or she's four right now, but if she's going to want something and she gets older, she's going to do the same thing I did. You know, my parents could have bought me my first video camera. They said, I don't know, go work for it, figure it out. So I Mm -hmm. shoveled for 20 bucks a driveway, you know, in Boston. Um, She's got to be a little careful because she lives in New York city and could be scary. Yeah. Um, uh, You know, but I, we're going to put her to work and, and really teach values and really talk I think you just really have to talk and have open conversations with your kids and let them learn from you and let them emulate you and and then just hope if you have that kind of a great relationship with your kids they turn out to be good people. If not, you just return them.
0: (laughs) You just get a new one. Well, let's talk a little bit about Salt Like Sirhan, the first book. Let's talk about that because there was a couple points in it that I really really like, and and the first one which is I think. It really is, in my opinion, the number one thing that separates top performers in our industry from just getting by agents. And that's the ability to follow up. That is their relentless consistency and follow up. So talk about that. I know that's a huge point in the book.
1: Yeah, dude, it's so funny. Like when I, when I wrote the proposal in 2017 for that book, it was, first of all, it was called balls up. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I sold it to Hachette, the publisher. We had like four bids from different publishers. So I sold it to Hachette um, and they uh, they bought it. I wrote the whole book as balls up. That's why the word balls is in the book so much. That's um, yeah, a four
0: balls 20, in the air deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, dude. All the balls in the air. That's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I've always thought about sales is how do you build the biggest volume so that really to protect your brain so that when a ball drops and a deal dies, it doesn't ruin your week or your yeah. day, right? So how do you build a system to handle as many deals as you possibly can um, to have as many balls in the air as you can. So it's called balls up. And then, um, and then, you know, the world changed a little bit and the publisher was like, just so you know, you're changing the title. And we changed it to, uh, to sell it like Sirhan. Um, And then I would say, uh, you know, I have a follow-up system, which is follow up, follow through, follow back. The three F's talked about it my whole life. Um, uh, You follow up with everybody until they buy or they die. You follow through, with everything you say you're gonna do. If you say you're gonna get back to someone by 5 p.m., you get back to them by 4.59, right? You're only as good as your word in this business. You don't have a corner office and a big tower where people are like, oh, but they're, you know, later on, maybe, maybe if you can afford not to return people's calls or emails, then good on you, I guess. Um, And then you follow back with everybody. The amount of deals people miss because they forgot to follow back with a client that rented something two years ago or bought something from them or the family that actually paid for that one client and then the family goes and buys a house on their own to be closer to the daughter who now is pregnant with their first child but you never followed back with them so they use someone else that they met on a sunday All Right. so that follow back process is really 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 important but i you know use email text phone calls dm socials actually made follow back much easier because you just follow your clients Right, that's a big thing. Like any client I've ever had, um, I immediately then you know follow follow them, so I can always follow back. That way, it's like forcing me to remember. And then we have different follow up systems and CRMs and all the all the stuff. But follow up is the secret sauce, man, to all selling of all things.
0: So, well, I gotta ask you this because, man, I, I gotta tell you something you just said, which is you know always do what you say you will do. I, I don't know if it's since COVID or what, but it seems like there's an epidemic of people that just don't do what they say they will do. Yeah. I I would say the majority of stress in my life revolves around people just telling me they will do something and just not doing it. And then looking at me Yeah, and then like, why am I surprised that you didn't do it? (laughs) That's like, they're surprised. Like, I I don't get it. It's
1: my biggest, biggest pet peeve. You know, um, uh, I think it's because, and Maybe it's for the better going for, I don't know. I think people have a lot more opportunity today than they ever used to. I think social and the interconnectedness of this world has showed people that they don't just need to have one job their whole life and you know get paid a pension later on that like, screw it, I don't have to work here. I could go do whatever I want. I could do this, I could do that. I could make money on the internet. I could sell t-shirts on Etsy. I could go buy NFTs and flip them, You know all that stuff. Um, but I do think that a lot of people feel like they should be treated and paid um, uh, what they deserve, instead of being treated and paid what they're worth. Uh, and there's a big difference there, right? Huge difference. Big difference. I think I think acting like you deserve X, Y, and Z is very different than acting like you know I, I'm worth this because of this. You know well, I think, I, I think like,
0: that that takes into your book that takes you into the next book actually big money energy is really where that goes cuz now you're talking about mindset
1: yes yeah big money energy um i you know the first book sell like sirhan basically took me 10 years, because it, it started as my Sirhant team agent manual, you know, and it was all the things that I said to clients that actually got them off the fence, or that I said to a seller that got them to calm down, or, you know, every deal that I would do that would take 10 years off my life, I just I'd write it down. So I wouldn't forget. Um, and so I took that in turn, it into sell like Sirhant. And it took me a long time, big money energy, I, I wrote during COVID, while also building Sirhan and building the the brokerage and the education business and the production company and just did those kind of four things at the same time um, because I wasn't allowed to show property. In New York City, we were not essential workers and the fire department, so the FDNY and the NYPD all got sick and they shut the island down. And so we were under, we were 100% convinced because the police were telling us like, hey, you wanna see the documentary of what's about to happen? Go watch I Am Legend. And it's insane to say that now, but if you just go back in time, it was a wild time, man. Yeah. And so anyway, so I wrote Big Money Energy as the follow-up to Sell it Like Sirhan because it's kind of part of my, the idea, you know, my, my selling trilogy, really. So Sell It Like Sirhan is how to sell anything to anyone, how to sell real estate, how to sell insurance, how to sell mortgages, how to sell cars, how to sell pens. Um, uh, but it's a toolkit. And You could have the toolkit and know how to use it and have the confidence to use it. Or you can just put the toolkit in the closet because you're like, yeah, but I still don't have the confidence to do it. So big money energy was teaching people really how to project yourself two years into the future. The same way I did with Millionaire Listing. How do you be future you? How do you you start acting like the person you know you're going to become? How do you manifest that? And not just say it. Don't just walk in the room and say, I'm great when you're not. But how do you actually project yourself into the future so the person that people are meeting today Knows how to use that toolkit, is actually putting it to work. How do you put yourself in those situations? You want to be a ten million dollar agent. How do you put yourselves in ten million dollar client situations? Right. Don't wait on the ladder. How do you? How do you actually jump up? that ladder, and allow the world to give you what you're worth, right, instead of, um, instead of you just waiting for it. So that was that was big money energy. um, And put that out during COVID was such, which was also such a weird time, like, no book tour, no nothing. I was like zooming up a storm for that thing. And then the the completion to the the trilogy is then branded like Hant, which came out last week, um, uh, which my third and final.
0: Well, hang on, so- D- don't don't run away because there's a couple points in, in branded like I'm sorry, big money energy that I want to talk about because I thought oh, good. And, and actually uh, a couple things. The first one I'm going to start with is you talk about acknowledging people is is a way to grow your network, and I thought that was something that so many people lack, and just they don't go about their day with intention when it comes to dealing with other people. And I wanted you to talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. You, you, so many of us uh, speak to people and we listen to them so we can reply instead of listening to them so that we can respond to what they really want and really need. Right. And so I have always been a big believer and maybe it's because I've just always worked for free until I didn't. Like I never had it. I've never had a job my whole life. Like I never, no one ever paid me. I've never been paid hourly ever. Um, I've never had a salary ever. And so I've always kind of been in the mind of, I have to give and give and give. I have to acknowledge everybody. The first thing I do when I meet anybody is, is, is I do the two C's, right? So the first C is I give someone a compliment, give them a compliment. Always. Right. You disarm a lack of trust by complimenting somebody in an in a natural, organic and authentic way. Right. Not a bullshit way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you find something in common, you know. And so um, I've always found that the more I acknowledge people and the more I give to them. Right. And give to them, give to them, give to them. Then oftentimes you don't even have to go in for the ask. Right. You 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 don't. Right. You you can. They're going to come to you because you're going to make yourself so, so aware and so known, uh, doing what you do best that they're just going to come to you because you're going to want to work with somebody that they like.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that that's so important and so true. It's like, if you just, one of the best ways, in my opinion, to grow your network is to be hyper-conscious that everybody you come in contact with, you leave them a little better then you, then they found you make them feel yeah. bright in the day a little bit, a smile, something as easy as that, but just try to make everybody you come in contact with feel that they were important to you in that smallest of moment. Yeah. I think it's clutch. Second thing I'm going to say that I like to I like to be a book and, I, and I'm going to, I gotta be honest with you, man. I made a little change in me because of this, that I, I when I was prepping uh-huh. for this over the weekend, I'll tell you why. So. I'm a member of several very high level mastermind groups across the country that I'm in and they're full of, I'm in I'm a couple that are, that are heavy real estate based and a hub and a couple that are just heavy CEO based, And a lot of the guys that I've been running around with for the last couple of years, I'm going to call them the entrepreneur bro is what I'm going to call them. The entrepreneur bros. Sure. And you kind of get sucked in to like the hoodie. You get you get sucked in to the Jordans. You get sucked in to this super casual, almost Silicon Valley look. And I found myself the other day after I read this, I, cause I'm the first guy when one of my agents walks in wearing sweats, I'm the first guy to say, are you dressed for the day you want or the day you have? I'm the first guy to say that. And I realized I'm like, man, I, I've been drifting too far into the entrepreneur bro look. So I gotta get back to being me, which is which is, Custom suits when I'm at work every day. That's what I got to do. So reading that snapped me out of it. But talk about presenting yourself to the universe in a way to attract what you want. And always, not just dress.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, you you make a decision every day when you wake up. Am I going to go present myself to the world uh, uh, putting myself first or putting the world first? That's 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 the first decision you get to make every day. Am I going to go out in what's comfortable for me, talk in a way that's comfortable for me, act in a way that's comfortable for me, and make sure my first impression to the world is that I come first. My comfort, my feelings, my attitude, my behavior come first, and then you, or depending on your career, your life, what you want in the world, okay, um, are you going out there and saying you come first? Client, agent, person at the gas station. I'm putting you first. I'm wearing a suit, not because I like love the way it feels on my inner elbows, but because I am putting you first, right? I respect your time to spend with me. Like I I, I respect you and 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 you didn't have to talk to me. You don't have to talk, you know, like so. I'm gonna respect you. This is my respectful outfit because I put you first when I get home and I'm by myself. Right, uh, which I'll be tonight. That's <laughs> my family's <in> Switzerland. Switzerland. <laughs> when I get by, by myself, I don't wear a suit for myself. <laughs> like I'll be in gym shorts and a sweatshirt or something because it's cold in this state. Um, uh, and I think that you know your ability to understand respect takes you really far and helps you present yourself to to be the person that you want to be, and then attract that type of business. So, and again. It depends you know we have agents up and down the coast of florida no way on earth no. are they comfortable wearing suits and ties because it's 95 degrees right and so they blend in we have agents that are on golf courses i'm sort of the same way you do right they blend in it's assimilated and associated marketing and so in new york city for me i'm surrounded by people who wear suits so i could show up super comfortable and there's tons of agents here who are, who do that and do it well it just hasn't been
0: what's worked for me yeah I, I find that again, you know, I always preach like, look at Superman, right? He doesn't go fight crime in the Clark Kent suit. He puts on the Superman suit. And I find that yeah. when I make that transition from my sweats in the morning to this look, when I show up, I'm ready to go. Hey, this is my supergirl yeah. outfit. So, so that's how we do it. Well, let's talk about the new book, which is on shelves. Now want to make sure everybody goes out and buys it as many copies as they humanly can talk about Brandon uh-huh. like her hand, talk about it.
1: So it's, it's the completion of my selling trilogy. It is, it is the idea that you can know how to sell whatever you want to sell. You can have the confidence to sell it. But then if no one knows what you're selling... Or knows you. Yeah, you can have all the tools and all the confidence in the world. You're never going to make any money and you're going to go back into the rigmarole of your life Right, you fall back into whatever that second chance was that you that you had that second career, um, uh, and so I listen. I'm a, I went to college, but I also am am a big believer that there is a future past higher education, um, and that there are so many ways to earn a living today, to find happiness today, and so I saw a stat five years ago. Yeah, five years ago, right when we started selling. Actually. Um, uh, from the U.S. Department of Labor that said that 23% of U.S. taxpayers file a 1099. And I was like, that seems like a lot. Yeah. I think, you know, like it, it seemed aggressive. <laughs> like I just like, really? Um, now, that now some of them, I'm sure a lot of them also file a W-2, right? Or they also have K-1s, what, what have you. But 23%, making enough money to be filing a 1099 that's that's interesting um uh okay so what's it going to be in the future today it's 36 percent by 2027 the u.s department of labor is estimating that well over 50 percent of u.s taxpayers are going to be filing a 1099 tax return which means they're going to be selling something and so I just look around at the world. I see how things are changing. And that's, listen, that's real estate agents. That's social media influencers, mm-hmm. right? That's authors. Mm-hmm. That's car salesmen. That's anyone who who makes money by working for themselves in some way, shape, or form, right? Doing work, put out work, you get the, you know, you get the commerce back. Um, and so, and I looked around and I was like, how do, okay, so 50%, of the U S economy is going to be classifying themselves in some way, shape or form as a gig worker, as a salesperson of Mm. something. Um, uh, They're not going to college. How, How do they learn how to do that? And how do they learn how to build their store? What does that store look like digitally? And so I looked around, I'm like, okay, so how do how does a real estate agent, a mortgage broker, car sale, how do, how do all these gig workers actually build brands? And there's like one brand book from 10 years ago. There's another brand book in the 90s. You know, like they're all, they're just dated now. And I couldn't find anything that really gave me tactical information on how to build your personal brand or your products brand using the tools and resources we have at our fingertips today so that you can go out and you can make more money. Right? and mm-hmm. you can actually build your own brand that could build enterprise value for yourself like how do you how do i use tiktok what do i what do i put on there how do i figure out what my brand foundation is how do i understand that there for every product i have to come up with the character of that product to first understand what my target market audience is before i ever run a digital ad yeah. like how do i how do i even do all that stuff and so that's brand alexran it's 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 you know i spent years putting it together I'm actually pretty delayed in putting it out to the publisher's amusement in me for <laughs> um, a long time. And uh, uh, it's my biggest, most tactical book ever. And it, it, I really put it out there to help anyone who sells anything or wants to or aspires to to build their lives as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to completely agree with what you just said. Because back when I was just talking about the entrepre- bros that I was talking about a minute yeah. ago, I would say – that, with the exception of the incredible stratosphere high net worth clients that we have, that we've met through them, most of the guys that I know that have just built something and, and are very, very wealthy today are all experts at copywriting, media buying, and understand marketing. Um, right. uh, and those are none of those things you have to go to school for. I mean, this summer I had my son intern with the guys. That uh, that own V Shred. You've probably seen that guy Vince coming down your social media feed. If you probably have, um, yep. they're probably the best digital marketers in the world. And those guys are both self-taught. They yep. both just learn how to do it. So uh, yep. I think that is the skill set that is imperative going into the new economy. Agreed. And, and this book that you've written, I think, it is going to be up there with, with with one of the best that are currently out there with Hermosis books. And this, I, I think, I think it's just going to be invaluable.
1: Agreed. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it.
0: Well, Ryan, dude, it was a great conversation, man. I, I enjoyed it. And uh, I know the listeners enjoyed it. And uh, dude, anytime you're in Vegas, man, you need anything from me, you let me know.
1: All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Have a great day. Guys, make sure you tune in again next week. Where we'll have another great guest. And remember, man, if you are just drifting along on the currents of life, man, escape the drift. Start swimming. It's not that hard. We'll see you next time. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us for another episode of Escaping the Drift. Hope you got a bunch out of it, or at least as much as I did out of it. Anyway, if you want to learn more about the show, you can always go over to escapingthedrift.com. You can join our mailing list. But do me a favor, if you wouldn't mind, throw up that five-star review, give us a share, do something, man. We're here for you. Hopefully, you'll be here for us. But anyway, in the meantime, we will see you at the next episode.